humanity's most controversial and intriguing concepts through the lens of skepticism. So we have with us today Richard Gilliver from The Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from The Yorkshire Atheist. Today we are going to be discussing secularism. So grab your English tea or your cafe macchiato with just a touch of chocolate drizzle, get comfy, and join us as we unpack what it means to take the G-O-D, out of government. We also have with us today a very special guest, Jenna Belk. So Jenna, thank you so much for being with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, thank you all for inviting me. This is, this is awesome. I love, I love the kind of activism and the, the kind of conversations that we're having in this community. Um, I, I guess I've, I started out volunteering for the atheist community of Austin at, uh, during, so for the atheists, I'm a, one of the hosts on the atheist experience and I have now got my own channel, uh, started in, um, having been inspired by them. And I now do three shows and those are atheostasis, carrot noises and Genesis, and uh, Atheist Asis is basically an interview show where I'm just uh, interviewing people from many different kinds of perspectives since I've come to this new world that I've found uh, I live in because I thought I lived on some kind of Neverland and it turns out probably not. Um, so now I have to kind of re- look at it, figure out a new how to, how to navigate a new world. And I air those interviews on YouTube on Wednesdays at 4 p.m., and I have uh, Carrot Noises, where on Twitch, I live stream painting for a couple hours since Twitch seems to be where people like to video game. Well, I don't, I don't video game, but I paint. So I thought I'd kind of <laughs> throw a wrench in the gears and help people start crafting if they, if they don't game um, or if they do and want to want a second hobby, you know, uh, then I have. Genesis every weekday morning, also on Twitch, uh, where I, I'm not a meditation guide. I'm more of a meditation buddy where I'm just, I'm already meditating and I do it one way. So if you don't know how to do it or need a friend to help you get started, then I'm there. Um, but I encourage you be very critical and make it your own. Um, and so each of those, um, even the ones that I stream on Twitch, I upload them all to YouTube now. So they should all be on there. Um, but also in my uh, last but not least, obviously, uh, the Ethan and Jenna show on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. on YouTube, where we're more mental health focused. And I think that each of these three wonderful uh, hosts is a fan of that, I believe, because it's it's a little bit different. You know, it's it's mental health and typically a topic that's hard to talk about or uh, we think should be talked about more. And so we're really kind of giving people a platform to kind of share experiences that they're having with things that they either need to get off their chest or think people should know more about. 
Um, so we're not an, an advice um, kind of community there. We're more of just kind of a, a friendship community there where we're just there to support each other and share ideas and what we learn. Yeah. So the Ethan and Jenna show is where you and I first met, right? Like that's where <laughs> I came on and we talked about um, the mental health of us atheists, new content makers and how we're all doing and how we process mental health. And what I really, really love about that show and this show is that we're not experts. We're not giving advice. We're just people sitting around talking, but in doing so, we're sort of able to share our experiences. And so I think if anything, your guys' show gives other people the I'm not alone feeling or the, Hey, I'm allowed to talk about this feeling. And I think that is what makes that show so powerful. I think it's awesome that you guys do that. Thank you. That's one of the main goals. (laughs) That's fantastic. I love it. Um, Okay. So moving forward with the show, um, Jilliver, you have what's coming up in the future. Yeah. uh, This week we have Laura on the perspective on May the 11th. Uh, That's another Ethan Michael show. Fantastic show. Uh, You've been on that before. That was a fantastic episode. So I'm looking forward to seeing you on it again. Uh, you'll you. pr- probably also be on the nonprofits at some point because you seem to be on there every week. <laughs> <laughs> I have done, but, I think, five shows, not entirely in a row, but almost in a row. So yeah, yeah I'll then, probably be on there again. And you just keep turning up, and the cats chuck you out. They what? <laughs> if, did you you just keep turning up? Like I'm here again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like that cat at the door, just meowing, and they, they just get annoyed. Yeah. And say, okay, fine, let her on. That's pretty much what happened here, though. We can't get rid of you. You <laughs> tried. You tried. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen Laura's last uh, appearance on the nonprofits, it was absolutely fantastic. It was like an all-star lineup for me. So please do go and catch that if you haven't seen it. So it was our first ever episode of nonprofits that was all female. So yeah, definitely check it out. It was fun. And Richard, where can you find us? everywhere so um and i, I still want to say the link out loud but it's a link tree site but it's linkter.ee so like the e from tree is mm-hmm. sort of separate from there's the word and i don't know how to say it out loud but sort of linkter.ee slash skeptic hangout and all the links for all the because we're everywhere so wherever you want to hear us see us listen to us uh or talk to us uh, particularly on our facebook discussion group the links are all there and that link will be down below or up above or where, wherever links are, wherever you're experiencing this wonderful show. So, so look out for link. Yeah. So. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll be adding a little, I'll be adding a little thing on the video. So everyone will know exactly how to get there. Lovely. Awesome. So before we get started, I do want to just take a time to say like, Jenna, you are our first ever guest on this meager new little podcast. And I am so excited that of all the people to be the first guest that you are the first guest. So Aww. thank you so much for taking your time to come on and hang out with us for an hour. I think it's Yay. great. Yay, thank you. It feels so special. <laughs> so our topic today is secularism. And that, like, like Jenna was saying, there's a million different isms out there and understanding all the different like nuances and stuff of what this ism means and what that ism means can be super confusing. Um, so Gil, you had a great explanation earlier when we were chit-chatting about what especially yeah I don't I don't know if I have a great definition I have a definition which was better than you two both had so we'll start (laughs) (laughs) start with that Uh, so my understanding of of secularism is that it's basically the idea that 
no one should be advantaged or disadvantaged because of religious or lack of religious beliefs. And so, like, um, that doesn't, like, prohibit religion from society. And in fact, lots of people who are secularists, like, are very, you know, big proponents of a diversity of religious sort of ideas within a community. Um, but that, like, laws should not be based on religious ideas or, you know, the way that someone is treated by government services or things like that shouldn't be affected by, um, yeah, religious or lack of religious uh, beliefs and ideas. And I know that, like, the UK is a funny example, and I did a video on, my, on this a little bit, um, a bit ago on my channel, um, about separation of church and state, how religion doesn't seem to play that big a part in British daily life, but still we, we're not a secular state because we have lots of ingrained religious institutions uh, within the governance of the UK and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my understanding and I'm very happy to be corrected or definitions tweaked and things. So, But, yeah, that's a starting point, I guess. Yeah, so when I think of secularism, I think of it's not any more complicated than the separation of church and state. Um, obviously, it can get way more nuanced than that when you get really deep in the conversation. But my whole um, concept of secularism is built around this whole idea that like, okay, so you can have your religion, whatever it happens to be. But when it comes to laws, when it comes to public schools, when it comes to the, the public sphere, um, religion doesn't take precedence. Like one religion doesn't take precedence over any other religion. Does that kind of sound about right? Because I think the, the when lots of people hear secularism or hear about secular things, they, they assume that it means like completely void of religion or religious ideas. Um, and and in, in some ways that those terms are used, I guess it can mean that. Like, you know, if you talk about secular humanism, for example, that's a version of humanism that specifically doesn't have any theological ideas, no ideas of God's in there. Um, but yeah, it's actually like a big sort of way of also protecting lots of religions. You know, like um, India's constitution, for example, was very specifically built and it's it's definitely not working like that at the moment, but like it was built around this idea that Hindus who are the like majority population in India, for example, shouldn't have precedence just because they're in the majority. Uh, and so like they were like really celebrated for this secular idea of you will not be advantaged by being a Hindu or disadvantaged for being a Muslim or advantage or disadvantage for being any other sort of thing. So, um, and I guess there's that question of like, is that the ideal that we should strive for? And I think an easy answer to that would be, well, yeah, of course. But it's always, yeah, as straightforward as that. So Jenna, what is your thought on that? Like, what are your, your thoughts on secularism? Well, so that's funny because I always just thought of secularism as just minus religion, you know, but, but that's a, I'm noticing that there are two different ways to interpret that. There's one way, which is that religion is not allowed. And then there is another way, which is that it is allowed. It just doesn't participate in the structure or the governance. Um, and so I think that that's a, that's a huge distinction that I think should be made um, anytime that kind of conversation comes up because yes, I, I think of it, I think that if you just say no religion, that that implies the latter, but to anybody that is under the impression that their religion is under attack, they may assume the first. So um, 
just to kind of reassure people that it is more of a neutral standpoint rather than an anti-religion standpoint. It's more of a, that's fine if it's there, we're just, we're not going to make it, uh, make our society revolve around it uh, the way that it used to. And I kind of think that in in those specific terms, like secularism, it, it becomes more of a religion is how you guide your life and how you regulate and govern your life, but it doesn't have any place in governing other people's lives. And so when you start talking about um, government or public school or um, to the workplace or whatever, um, what secularism does is says um, no one specific religion is going to tell another person how to live their life. Right. So if there's something that we all agree on is like morally bad murder, you know, stealing, rape, that kind of stuff. We can make laws around that because we can all agree that 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 is morally the wrong thing to do. But when it comes to things like LGBT rights or marriage or gender or those kinds of things um, or how you raise your children, that needs to be like your religion is is for you to to govern yourself. It's not for you to govern others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing I've noticed, which I find really peculiar is... uh... In Britain, although we do have we we don't have separation of church and state, and you can certainly see to some extent how that impacts our lawmaking. When I look at that compared to you uh, in America, who was supposedly have church and state, and then I get hear stories like I did a couple of weeks ago, and I think uh, Laura touched on this and on the nonprofits on uh, this Just past last Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, when uh, you were talking about. Uh, you, you talked about two stories, but the one I'd previously heard of, which I just found amazing, was the fact that people are trying to get creationism taught in schools. And that just blew my mind. I, uh-huh. I mean, to when it, I have a lot of American friends. You two are both uh, friends of mine. I've had American friends for years. I've, I absolutely love the American people. But that, to the outside world, just makes America look crazy. It really does. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's such a shame because you're not like that. You're not like that at all. But yet you've got this this like this perspective coming from outside thinking, how can that possibly be the case? How can it be the case that that is allowed in, especially in a country with separation of church and state, where someone's trying to push, and it was a really close call as to whether it got in, teaching creationism in schools. Well, it's going to depend on who you talk to that's going to tell you that our, that the U.S. is separated by church and state, mm. you know? Um, yeah, and what that means. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when you get the, the more religious people talking about that kind of stuff, the way that they justify um, what they're trying to um, push in terms of legislation is, well, the separation of church and state is that there's no head church over the state, like the way that the Catholic Church mm-hmm. was and like the way the Church of England is, right? Um, so they kind of like make it, well, the church isn't the governing body, but we as American citizens, we can still take our religious beliefs and we can still legislate for them. And whereas from our perspective as secular atheists versus secular or non-secular religious people is our beliefs are, no, 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 your, your beliefs have no place in the public sphere. And so I think with us, it kind of becomes sort of this, this push-pull battle of, um, understanding what that really means, the separation of church and state. Like, is there any real difference if we don't have a church head, but we're legislating based on a specific religious belief? Isn't that the same thing? 
Here's so an example. Folks- Sorry, I was just going to say a few years ago, the um, I can't remember his name now. I, I definitely should remember his name. The leader of the Lib Dems a few years ago, you'll probably remember Jennifer, not his name, but this example. Um, he was a well-known Christian. And actually, I don't think religious beliefs of politicians and members of parliament are necessarily that well-known in the UK. But he was known to be a full-blooded Christian. Um, and he was interviewed um, for, for some, I can't remember what it was. He was interviewed on the BBC or something, I think. And the question was put to him, do you think being gay is a sin? And he kept saying, like, that's irrelevant because if I were to be elected and became prime minister or whatever, then I in no way would, you know, enact any laws that sort of took away from, you know, gay rights or I wouldn't abolish gay marriage or anything like that because my own religious ideas have nothing to do with the way that I govern or I would govern or lawmake or legislate. Um, and so he avoided the question of itself because he didn't want to be the person on the tabloids who said being gay is a sin, um, even though I guess he seemed to come across as believing that. But he was like, it's an irrelevant point because it do- it wouldn't affect the way that I would govern. Um, so anyway. I- I'm going to let Jenna go ahead because it sounds like you have something to say. Well, it's just it's just interesting to me when um, when some people are able to separate that and some people aren't like I was raised in the kind of family that weren't able to separate those two things. It was no, no, no. This is reality. This isn't just the way I believe this is reality. And so (laughs) we have to go according to that as if that is what we're starting with. You know, like I remember being told by my, by my, by my father, you know, you have two lawmakers, you know, you have God and you have your government. And when it comes down to it, and if one of those is conflicting, you follow the rule of your God, because otherwise, otherwise, how are you shaping your entire worldview around this? If that's not how you're going to operate from that mindset, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree entirely with what you say. And that is where I was going to say where Gil said um, that he didn't really answer the question. I think he answered the question perfectly, but I think that he's an example of a secular religious person. Whereas like Jenna said, many, many other religious people don't have that, that secular mindset where they, they can't separate. Here's what I believe the world is. And here's what I believe is right and wrong versus and understanding that, well, not everybody believes that. And I need to be aware that that um, I shouldn't be dictating what other people believe, what other people do. Like to them, and to, this is that kind of person I was, was to me, it looked like it was as obvious as it's wrong to kill people. The, those to me, I was like, the, well, you know, they were just as obvious as the other. You know, there weren't, there wasn't a separation of the two. There was just right and wrong. And that was wrong. A lot of those those things as well can be found in the Bible. You know, it tells you in the Bible not to kill people. And, you know, like. That's where it gets confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. So going back to that, then the, the, the idea of uh, America having separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. If there are two sides to the argument, how would you explain it to someone from outside the US who wasn't sure about it in a uh, from a constitutional 
standpoint? What does the constitution say about it? What do you mean? Like, how would... And, and, and it's the details of the separation of church and state. How is that uh, put forward constitutionally? So not from the aspect of being religious or being a secularist, but from what the actual documentation says about it, what the laws say about it. Is, is there a way even to explain that to someone who's not from so I think, the US? Laura, did you say some people see it as like separation of church and state in the US just means there's no instituted church and that's it, but then other people view it in another way? Yeah, so it's confusing because um, there's there's uh, you're not supposed to have an established religion that is just the the nation's religion, right? Like we can't say like we are a christian nation or a catholic nation or a muslim nation like there's to be no establishment that this religion is the correct religion but there's nothing in the wording that says that i can't legislate based on my own religious beliefs right and so i can vote for a say a senator or a congressman um, who is going to uphold my religious beliefs and they hold those same beliefs and there's nothing that says they cannot pass a law or fail to pass a law because of their religious beliefs. And so that's where the separation of church and state gets really, really hazy is right. it's almost like um, if you have the numbers, if you have the support, there's really no difference between an established church, um, like state church or a voting and, or, <laughs> yeah, or just public, <laughs> public opinion. Yeah. 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 I think what you said uh, is interesting, Jenna, because like in the UK, for example, where we do have like the church of England as the established church, what that really means in our case is that like the queen is like nominated as the the church of england and that like the uh, church of england the the bishops of the church of england sit in the house of sort of ratifies laws that the house of commons passes um it means that like in lots of ways around the country sort of official events and ceremonies and stuff are based around the Church of England. So, like, if there's a Remembrance Day service, for example, it'll be run by the Church of England, or if there's a um, a memorial for something, a royal wedding, all those sorts of things are always in the Church of England. Um, but apart from that sort of limited way in which the, the sorts of things are affected, it doesn't have that bigger... Uh, an impact from my perspective I don't know Jill if you agree or not but it doesn't seem to I I disagree with it and and I'd I'd much rather it didn't have fingers in all of those pies but it doesn't seem to yeah have a massive impact on people's lives and in you know thinking about social policies in the UK to do with things we've talked about you know like abortion and gay rights and all those sorts of things like that trans rights and and whatever else you know, it hasn't combated any of those things because it doesn't have the power. No, I mean, individual individual politicians do vote. And I remember a few years ago that uh, Anne Widdicombe, I think she was a Conservative Party Friend member. Of the show. The and then, <laughs> <laughs> then, she moved, uh, then she moved even further right than the Conservatives and joined Nigel Farage and his band of merry uh, fascists. i remember that she voted on there was some bill i think it may have been gay marriage and she voted against that so they do have because of a christian faith so they do have uh, some kind of leeway to use the power of faith within government but like i agree with you that it's not tremendously strong it doesn't have much of an impact but i think that's because we've got a good balance of people in government 
who aren't religious. You know, I, I watched The Crown. <laughs> <laughs> so you're now the expert on all things. British. I am now the expert <laughs> on, on how the governance is run, you know, over there overseas. And and I'm curious, <laughs> what what is the point? Like, what is the point of the Church of England having any role in politics? Because it does seem like the goal does seem to be neutrality, right? So why not? Like, why have it there? See, the Church of England's goal generally is to just offend as few people as possible in order to, I guess... <laughs> I mean, that's literally about it. Um, not the Christian stuff, not the fingers in all the pies of governance, just to, yeah, try and avoid offending people. So, no, I mean, I think historically it's probably just because the Church of England was established by Henry VIII, specifically because the Catholic Church wouldn't let him divorce his wives. I know that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've heard one or two dramas have been made around the topic. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, so I think from there, because he himself, he professed himself to be the, you know, the governor of the church and be the like sole person who's the authority on that church, that that governance has just carried on since then. So I don't know if it's necessarily that there is some sort of, I mean, I guess, you know, the Church of England does want to promote a Christian message and one of their taglines is like a Christian presence in every community and stuff in in brackets, yeah. in, a, in as little offensive way as possible. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I don't think there is much of a point. They just still... Are carrying on. I think that's kind of basically how it how it how it's working and how in 2021 we've still got an established but, church. But so how do you have just carrying on? But then you look at the contrast of how much control the Church of England did have and how much it does have. So how you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds to me like it's a lot like even like the Queen, like it's about tradition. So it's a lot more about going through these motions and doing these things that we've always done the way we've always done them. And it but seems they a lot. Don't. They, well, I know a lot of things change <laughs> you know and I mean? it's, yeah. And I, I, I really think though, that it's like their way of sort of hanging on to something that's antiquated and that they're not quite ready to let go of, but they well, also, but, um, the whole principality of it is to have it not change yet. It completely it has. Totally yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, like, yeah. why, <laughs> you know, so like, for example, um, I think here's just like a really random example. So, 11th of November is Remembrance Day in the UK where we remember people who died in world wars and whatever else. Uh, And so like most towns and villages and stuff, there's like a war memorial somewhere. So about five minutes down the road, we've got a war memorial. um, And like, I'm part of the scouts. I'm a beaver leader. So we like, there's a bit of a parade with the band uh, and we all gather around the war memorial. And then the vicar from the church of England church comes and leads a Christian service at the war memorial for everyone in the village to hear and listen to. Now, bearing in mind, there are probably fewer than 30 people attend that church every Sunday. And it's the main church in the village. Um, you know, there are hundreds of people there around the, the war memorial taking part in that service, saying the prayers, hearing the Bible readings, singing the Christian hymns. But I guess it's because that has always been done by the church because that sort of an occasion was established in a time where Christianity was the default in the UK. And like, I guess there's never been a big enough reason to suddenly say like, right, this year we're going to not do this in a Christian way. And there's no way, no reason in my mind why that as an, as an event has to be a Christian event because, you know, that memorialization of, of war dead, 
um, you know, is something that matters to people, whether you're religious or not. Um, but I guess it's yeah, kind of got think... a matches, hatches, and dispatches feel to it, hasn't it? It's not <laughs> people don't go along to it because it's anything to do with the church. It's because they want to remember the the people who died. Yeah. So, so they almost kind of have just like a monopoly. In a lot of ways, and I I give. I'd spoke about an example recently as well about how like, you know, church weddings and things like that are very, very common despite most people who have church weddings, I guess there's probably some statistics somewhere, but not being Christians, still that dream of the church wedding and walking down the aisle and the organ and the pews and the lovely stained glass windows. People dream of that as, as like you said, the default because tradition yeah, I was going to say, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about tradition. I mean, even though our traditions do morph and change over time, and we kind of like, <laughs> like they don't look the same as they used to, but we think they do because we have that perspective that it's always been this way. But um, that's kind of what I meant is like, I think it's a cultural, it's ingrained into the culture to where to remove it from the culture, like there's there's not a whole lot of cultural pressure to do that. Well, that so makes- this, is, this is where I get confused. It's because, okay, so on the wedding versus the the um governance there. yeah yeah the so so the weddings yes traditionally at least here it's been you know the big white the the white va- veil you know and the church aisles right i get that but lately it's been transitioning to more of an outdoors and people wearing different dresses and you obviously don't live in Britain because outdoors is definitely not an option. <laughs> it's, well, this is a becoming kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's even a thing yet, but it's becoming more normal and more accepted as that, as that's changing. But the way that my family uh, looks at the marriage is, well, they, they say, Oh, well, marriage shouldn't even, it should only be, a religious thing it shouldn't even be in politics like marriage was started because of god blah 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 so why is it even in the government rather than why is it even in the church right so yeah. so looking at the 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 service i wonder well what's to stop the satanic temple from coming and saying hey i want to do the service next year yeah you know i mean that's when you say that they just there just hasn't been you know a real reason to change it well where is the satanic temple <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where the local branch is but uh, yeah i think it's, <laughs> you know what i mean like, no i do because, know what you mean yeah I do know what you mean. I think it's like because that's what it has been and there's been no specific right this is a reason why we need to change it i can think of reasons why we should change things but because it's not been like a groundbreaking this has changed, so therefore we need to change the churchiness of this, whatever it is. It just carries on, and I think it just will carry on. The thing uh, is, as well, it's inoffensive as well, isn't it? I mean, when when I see things from America about the Satanic Temple and getting involved with things, it's always against, like, really, in your face, we want to push things in your face, Christian organisations, or, like, who really are campaigning to, like, get rid of people's rights and stuff. Right, so they step than- in. Mm. rather than the Church of England, which is, as, as Richard has correctly said, just like really softly, softly. Anything I bigger, bigger if someone fight. said to like the vicar of the church, like, I'm a humanist and can I input this bit to the remembrance service or whatever, you know, that's a non-religious thing. I'm pretty sure they'd be like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like it's, yeah. 
No, we had, we had a Buddhist uh, sutra read at our wedding and a Muslim best man. So it was, and that was in the Church of England. And we had a, a Catholic. It was it was a funny wedding. Mm. We had a we had a Catholic. What did they call the thing where they eat Jesus and drink his blood and stuff? The Eucharist. Oh, the, yeah, well, communion. Yeah. Communion. That's the one. We had a we had a Catholic communion in the Church of England, a Buddhist reading, and a Muslim best man all in one wedding. So the Church there's, of England is pretty easy somewhere. going. So <laughs> while I can see from you know. Uh, an English perspective. Well, you know, it's kind of a pseudonym for, or it's kind of a, what do you call it? A, a replacement for secularism, right? It's, it's basically secular, but then you look at the Americans and they're looking over there saying, yeah, but they're religious. And y'all are like, yeah, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they, but there's so many Americans that actually use that as one of their arguments is, hmm. you know, is, is, it's just so prevalent. It's just everywhere. It's just, it's obvious. Well, so that, right? it's really that begs a, it, yeah, that begs a really, really good question of when you're talking about making nations more secular and moving nations more away from um, a religious based governance to secular based governance, that's a huge conversation to have is like, how, how do you get the conversation and education out there that you can be a religious person and you can be a religious, religious nation, but still advocate for secular um, legislation Isn't and yeah, like how yeah, secularism, right? <laughs> so that is a very, very complicated, and I think yeah, it's a complicated it's a- situation. But that's why it's so slow. I think in America is because yeah. because sec- how would you instigate that? How would you control right. it? You know, like, it's a social movement. Can, yeah, because if someone says legitimately, I have been really explicit about my beliefs and what I would do if I were elected to this position, mm-hmm. and so if people elect me, which they are free to do so. I must then act on what I've said, you know, so if I'm going to say abortion should be made as difficult as possible and we should do, you know, things like that. How do you create a system in which that is controlled? Because you can't create a system where people are told how to vote on matters or, you know, how do you distinguish whether it's someone just voting because it's what they believe in mm-hmm. because, or whether it's what they believe in because of religious ideas yeah that's a really it's, difficult it's like thing. saying oh you can't not hire that person because she's pregnant but when asked why didn't you hire that person they say well she wasn't qualified yeah. or there was another more qualified person yeah. right there was another right like you just changed the language it's, but that's, that's the thing is if you are under the impression that you are living in this Christian nation and that there is like this overseer of the government that is, you know, has their eyes everywhere, you know, that they couldn't possibly go wrong. The good guys always win. Right. Um, then you're under the impression that that can't happen. <laughs> so is that why there's such a war? Do you think I, I think I know the answer It's a bit of a rhetorical question, but just to stimulate discussion like that seems to me to be why it feels like there's such a war between religion and secularism when really secularism can very, very easily complement religion. Um, do you think that it's because from this specific worldview, God is reality and these things are right and wrong. And so when you take that away from me or when you take that away from my government, you are making me or making my community live outside of the laws of God. Um, yes. But you're making becomes- me be an atheist and yeah. heaven forbid <laughs> Or sin, right? Like, even by him, were, yeah. Even if you weren't saying that that was your goal, by enacting, I guess, from that view of like God is reality, 
if you're trying to enact laws which do allow for people to believe in this way or do this way, bending on different beliefs and stuff, it's like, well, that's counterproductive anyway, because like, yeah, you're giving people freedom to do things, but like, that's not the freedom that they need in order to save their souls. Like, they don't need that freedom. They need specifically controlling in this way because... Yeah, you think you're helping them, but you're just opening more doors for the devil. (laughs) Right. How how would that work? And going back to what Jenna said before about uh, America looking to us as kind of a model, American Christians looking to us as a model. Which I find fascinating. Well, so do I, because I don't know how that would work in America, because... In England, we have the Church of England. It's like one ruling body. But in America, the the Christian sects themselves are are so divergent. Everybody is under the impression that everybody else thinks the same way they do. Mm. Yeah, it would end up being... So right now, the the fighting is between, like, say, religious people and non-religious people, or religious people of different religious denominations. But as soon as you put one religion in charge, like, say, it's the Southern Baptists that win and get to be the head of the state, now you're going to suddenly have all these fractured, like that's where the Lutherans came from, right? That's where the Protestants came from. So now you'll start to have those even further fracturing. But as of right now, I think Jenna's right. Like there's this overarching impression that because I'm Christian, because you're Christian, we both want the same laws and the same governance. And that's not the case. We have the same morals and right. Yeah. We all follow the same Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. So Uh, a lot of it comes on education. Right. And having conversations like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing how we all have so many conversations um, as activists and not just with ourselves and other atheists, but with religious people and people with different philosophies. We take for granted that the average person doesn't talk to other people in those ways. They don't have those discussions. So how are you supposed to get the idea of what secularism is really trying to do? How are you supposed to have those conversations with? um, Because the. the Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was gonna say with just with the general religious public. Yeah, I was gonna say because if, if you, so, say you have two people who don't automatically think that they agree, mm-hmm. right? To have a conversation about this, it would last no more than thirty seconds. I mean, because you—that's th- what you're told from restaurant to bar to club to whatever. You don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics, and you don't talk about sports mm-hmm. unless you're on the same page. Unless you're on the same team, you don't talk about it because you're just avoiding conflict. You're avoiding unnecessary problems. There's so many other things to talk about. Why can't we just get along, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a good question. Well, but But that's the thing is is because we haven't had any practice disagreeing. (laughs) Yeah, I think that probably myself and Jenna have probably had more experience in the area of talking to uh, Christians or people of faith in uh, a more questioning way, questioning what they believe than you two possibly have. But there there is a way to have those conversations and get along. You know, it doesn't always work out. Sometimes, sometimes it's just that barrier that you're not going to surpass. And sometimes, you know, everybody loses a shit on occasion. It's just when you have a whole group of people, though, that thinks in black and white, you're a bad person. Mm. You're in the whole bad person box because of one tiny little thing that I see as a flaw in you. You put so many people in boxes that when you have it, so it it takes practice to have a conversation like that and not go badly. (laughs) Well, and the other thing to talk about when introducing secularism is 
like what you said, when, when someone thinks that what you're saying is bad or that you're against them, then as soon as you try to challenge their beliefs, it doesn't become a discussion of let's explore this. Let's talk about it. It becomes a discussion of you're trying to attack my beliefs. You're trying to tell me I'm wrong. So whatever you say, my defenses are already up. So and I already put you in that bad person box. Yeah. It was so too now late. <laughs> anything that you have to say is invalid. And so you lose that opportunity to, okay, well, you know what? This didn't turn out as well as I thought it would. Let's try it again later. It's yeah. it's there's automatically that box there. And sometimes you can take the time to tear it down, but it takes a lot of patience and work and relationship. And you can't have a relationship or a friendship with every single person you talk to. Right. So you don't always have that time and the opportunity to break down those barriers. Well, it takes practice even getting there, right? You know, it takes so so many conversations of going badly before (laughs) you're even capable of doing that. Absolutely. So how well does it work when, how, how does it work or does it work or does it not work when you get people like the satanic temple going up and you've got these Christian organizations maybe wanting to Give leaflets. The, the, the example I remember is a, uh, there was a Christian organization handing leaflets out. So the Satanic Temple or a Satanic organization of some sort went and they did the same thing and cited freedom of religion to do that. And how does that kind of create, a, does it foster an understanding? Does it foster <laughs> dialogue? Does it foster just anger and hate? So have you heard the phrase Satanic Panic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a Motley Crue fan, of course. I've heard ah, the so so if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that started because of the Satanic Temple, right? Because now you have people who actually believe this stuff, and now these people are actually out to get you. There's no, there's no. Hey, h- hang on. You know, I. It kind of seems like you're trying to steal my soul, but let's actually have a conversation and figure out if that's actually what you're. There is no. There's none of that. And I think, I think the satanic panic is actually the other way around. It was, that was what kind of motivated Lucian to start the satanic temple was the idea that people have this like vision of Satan and it's, it's causing people to judge others in this way that is so scary and so damaging and so abusive. He's like, well, I'm going to take the the devil, the character of the devil, and I'm going to use that um, iconography to get my message across. Oh, really? I got that wrong. Yeah. It's kind of like the opposite. Yeah. But so then maybe um, it did work. And what I think it is, is, you know how, I think it was um, Matt Dillahunty that was talking about this, that we all have to have our different approaches. So what he says to one person might not work, but then what I say to them does work, or I might try something that doesn't work. And then what he says does. So having all those different voices is critical. And so when you talk about like, do we need the satanic temple? Um, sometimes what they do will seem like a step backwards because they offend religious people and it pushes them further away from us and it puts them puts us more in that evil box and it puts them more in that righteousness box and that builds a, a, a further chasm between us. But they also get the attention of the middle of the road people and they get people thinking and they stimulate that conversation and they stimulate the thought. So short term, yeah, they're offending a whole bunch of people who they now can't reach. And it's going to be harder now for us to reach those individuals. But the conversation is rolling, you know. I, would, I wish a lot of the time, like religious people who are offended by things like the Satanic Temple and all those sorts of groups, could see what they do from our sort of perspective in terms of like they're not trying to advocate for Satan. They're trying to make a point about the system, like, and that's my understanding of it. You know, like that's what the devil wants you to think. <laughs> 
and how do we, how do us four know here that we're not actually just being driven by uh, by his hellishness, the devil? In <laughs> that the there is the million dollar question. There we go. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, someone mentioned earlier on, you know, like or maybe someone didn't, and I was thinking about it. But you know, if the church has a right to step in and be the people who fulfill this role in this area of life, well, why don't other people like that have the right to do so as well? And I think, yeah, they should. Jenny, you were going to say something. I actually just lost it. Okay. But I'm- but I was, yeah, it was interesting. So uh, while she's thinking about that, going back to what you were saying, um, I don't think that they're not allowed to. I just think that it, it is a matter, it's like a, a court of popular opinion, right? So if it's been done the Christian way for so long and why change it to a different way, it's not saying that you can't go in and, and say have like a pagan ceremony or a different religion or a secular ceremony. It just means that you have to start getting that ball rolling and you have to start generating interest. And if you're the minority, you're the minority and it's going to take time and it's going to take conversation. Um, but who's going to be the one to start it? Well, and so I actually just remember what I was going to say was the, along the lines of the satanic temple and people interpreting that as, as more offensive. And that's the thing is, it is so right. So the only reason I have a spot on AXP is because I don't sound like Matt Dillahunty. <laughs> that's the reason. So, so while I don't have anything to teach people, I, I simply bring a new perspective. And I think that that's, I think he's very, very right that that is necessary. So for example, um, I forget who, I think it was actually, I think it was Thomas Westbrook who came out with why I, I didn't join the satanic temple. Right. And talking about the harm of, of that and everything. And that's actually, after watching that video, I actually did join the, the satanic temple of Austin for that reason, because I look like a, I, from the outside to somebody who hasn't talked to me yet, <laughs> I appear like a very normal person Um, meaning cis white woman millennial you know probably christian yeah right right so all all of that i appear very predictable right um Um, but i'm not i i actually although i don't go to satanic temple meetings or clubs or ceremonies or really anything to do with them i became a member because it, you don't have to be crazy involved. You don't have to do the rituals. You don't have to wear black nail polish and devil horns. You know, you don't have to do any of that. No, that's a really yeah. That's a really good point that Jenna brings up. Is that um, there's a, there's a perception that a Satanist looks this way, or the Satanic Temple is this, or atheists are this, right? Um, or secularism tying it back to what we're talking about today is this. And so when you have people that look like they fit the other mold, but they're supporting this, it shows, it forces people to deal with that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're a member of the satanic temple. I get their newsletters every month. I haven't actually joined and paid, but I'm very, very tempted to. Um, And for very, like very, very similar reasons. One is I like what they're doing, but I like how other people do it too. I like the Mm -hmm. freedom from religion foundation and what they're doing. And, um, the, the humanist societies and, and, and organizations and what they're doing, like they'll take all these different approaches. And I think all of them are necessary on these multiple fronts to make any sort of progress. And so they're in your face, sort of offensive approach, even though it's not the approach I take when I'm dealing with people, I think it's a, it's an effective approach in certain. And, that, 
a necessary voice. Just yes. a voice. A voice. On the other side of the coin, lots of the, the ways that religious people approach all these things actually is that offensive, you know, towards us. Like it's, you know, religious people being the default in in lots of ways and being so outspokenly religious all the time and in, and forceful in their views and the, the way that they say things actually has that same effect on people who aren't religious. And so I think, mm. that, you know, it is the counterpoint to that. Right. It's like exposure only exposes that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh man, I could get off on that word. Well, it is. The thing is that's when, when you're listening to things like the atheist experience, if you've got you or Matt on, the arguments aren't necessarily always towards, they're not for the people necessarily who you're speaking to. It's the people who are listening. It's the viewers who, who've got time to sit there and either think about what's being said, or in some cases, if you've got someone who's, who may be quite extreme who's called in, who's got really bad views and really bad dif- opinions representing Christianity, they might be sitting there thinking, do I sound like that? Is that the way I sound? Is that the way I think? And that's all part of this longer, longer process. I don't think anyone who's got experience in talking to people who are religious goes to have a conversation with them thinking, right, this conversation, I'm going to change their mind and they're going to be a brilliant thinker from now on. It's just part of a process. You you, you talk to someone. Sorry, go on. I shall enter this conversation and I shall cure them. <laughs> I mean, that's the desire, right? That's the, the natural inclination. But then you kind of learn, oh, it doesn't work like that. Never, well, not only does it not work like that, but the callers <laughs> calling in think the exact same thing. So yeah. they're thinking, I'll be the caller that convinces yeah. them. I'm going to be the one that has the right argument. And so not only is it not right when we're thinking that or when we do that, but they're coming to us Anybody. with that same mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I was I just realized that this is this is a part of uh, secularism that kind of goes along with this. So I I am fascinated with criminology and like so I, I was raised uh, watching SVU, right? Law and Order Special Victims Unit. I have that whole first part memorized, you know, all, all that. Right. That turned into. Uh, with my desire to learn and get off of the the fiction stories that turned into a curiosity about criminal minds and why criminals do what they do. So I started watching crime documentaries, right. Which got me to prison documentaries to learn about, you know, these sentences and the conditions and the um, charges and the evidence. Right. And so it's got me very curious. And so I have come to not like, the treatment of people that are put behind bars and with COVID happening, I wanted to go and considering how isolated people are um, even more so than before, right? People go to jail and lots of times they lose their family. They lose their support system because they're let go or whatever. But, but I wanted to go and just give some people some conversation and right. And just kind of let people know that they're not alone and that I do care about them just, just because they're them, you know, and just have conversations Turns out you can't typically just go up to a prison and talk to people unless you're a chaplain. You, you represent a religious institution. So I'm like, wait a second. Apparently, and I, I heard this from Kenneth Leonard, 
secular humanism has been deemed uh, religious, a religious religious organization for purposes like that, right? For people who don't like, I don't have a church, <laughs> you right. know, but I can become a humanist chaplain. That's a really right? good point to bring up. Is secularism is a way, and especially when you tag it in with humanism is mm-hmm. a way to still have those conversations, still build those communities, still have those networks and those opportunities, but just not have God involved. So it's, it's exactly. all the same people stuff and community stuff and helping out without including all the scriptures and the gods. All exactly. Churches, you know, churches and re- religious organizations, all of that community and support and fellowship is actually some of the, the, the best and strongest bits of it. And I think I personally, since leaving Christianity, did feel a big uh, sort of void in my life. I felt I missed that aspect of all of that. Uh, and obviously that's a whole separate conversation in, ter- in terms of like, how do we build that up as a sec- Yeah, oh. that's really interesting. Obviously we're in sort of the last bit now, aren't we? Uh, before we run out of time. We are. Um, yeah. But I think actually that, that, that conversation right there about what, what Jenna said with secular humanism and being able to, go into these institutions and help people and do all these things that religious people are doing, but without the religion. Um, I think that that really sums up secularism perfectly. Like I, yeah. I think that that is like the bow on, on the cake. And I know we went down some rabbit holes, which we always do. They were great rabbit holes, but I think, I think she brought it around beautifully. So um, I think that's kind of a good place to stop or kind of wrap things up. But do any of you guys have any final thoughts that you wanted to add to the conversation specifically about secularism um, before we wrap up? Um, I wanted to say, just as a disclaimer, because I don't think we caught it on this recording, that um, I am no expert on anything. So, um, <laughs> so we normally say that at the beginning of every episode, we always put in this little like disclaimer of like, we don't know what we're talking about. And you're right, because for everybody out there who's just now hearing this, we recorded like the first five minutes without actually recording it and then had to go back and re-record. So our intro was the second time we had done it. Yes, we are all just people we we aren't qualified in anything we don't have any specific um i'm qualified in some things but just nothing not, that we're okay we're, we are all qualified <laughs> in specific things but not having to do necessarily with um the topics that we're discussing so this is just a roundtable discussion of everyday people tackling some of the harder conversations so yeah thank you jenna for <laughs> reminding us and we appreciate your voices as well. So if you if you do want to continue the conversation, get onto our Facebook group and talk to us. That's what that's what it's there for. That's why we started it. We want you in there. We want you talking to us. Call us out if we're wrong. Tell us if we're right. Or just pass the message on if you're not interested. <laughs> cool. So I think that's a great way to wrap things up. Jenna, I'm super excited that you were with us here today. I think you brought a really good voice to the conversation. Um, what do you guys think? I think it was pretty cool having her on. I think it's always a pleasure having Jenna on. I've interviewed her before myself and my own channel and it's uh, every opportunity to get her on and talk to her is an absolutely fantastic one. Aww. Agreed. I have nothing to add. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> well, then I'll add I, something. Love, I love each of you individually i adore y'all so much <laughs> thank you and i will i will add since since Peel didn't want to um check out her stuff um her stuff on twitch is awesome um the when when she does the meditation in the morning remind me what it's called because it's gen genesis genesis okay 
So um, that is a really, really great way to just take a few minutes with a friend and a friendly personality and a very calming voice to take a few yeah, minutes and to get on some headspace. No, I want to yeah. interrupt here because Jenna will Go never say this herself. She always says, you know, she's not an expert. She's just <laughs> shooting the shit. I am an expert on meditation. I've been doing it for 20 years. So I know what I'm talking about. I've started meditation groups. I have taught it. So I do know what I'm talking about. And she's really, really good at it. Go and listen to her and take that time to have that five minutes with her and join that meditation with her because she's really, really good and it's well worth doing. Yeah. So once again, thank you so much for being on. And I'm sure that we will send you a list of topics and be like, hey, when do you want to be on again? So hopefully this will not be the last time that we see you. No, it won't. Um, All right, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. And Jenna, thank you for being with us once again. Um, We are Laura. Richard. And Richard. And this has been Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And stay skeptical. Bye, everybody. Thank you.